Well, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. I'm your host, Noah Frary, and I can't tell you how excited I am to get this thing started. I'll be joined each episode by former App State All-Conference Safety, Caden Smith, as we look to highlight the accomplishments of so many incredible athletes and teams across the Sunbelt football landscape. Caden, I know you're on here. I'm really looking forward to embarking on this journey with you. Oh, me too, man. I can't can't thank you enough. Shout out to the, the few people who know that who they are that got us here. We have uh, Harry Lyles, some connections we have with him, Eric McLean. This thing came together, met at Sunbelt Media Day, got me on here. But for anyone who is not familiar with me, I've played safety at App State for a couple of years, just finished playing in 2021, studied journalism, been into the journalism game for a while, and now had a podcast with a teammate, Thomas Hennigan, and now doing a, a big boy podcast talking about Sunbelt sports, talking about the Sunbelt football scene right now, which I think we could argue is probably one of the hottest scenes right now. If you're looking at group of five, power five obviously is what it is. But I think in this group of five conference, we obviously have some changes going on. And I think we might be seeing a, a change of guard as far as who's going to be that next premier conference, who we're going to see possibly playing in that New Year's Six Bowl. So I'm I'm excited about it. No, if college football's back and what's what's not to love? Hey, we all love when college football returns. The weather starts getting a little bit colder. It really feels like fall. And you know, if last night in the backyard brawl, which we'll get into in a few moments, was any kind of idea of what's ahead, I think it's going to be quite the exciting college football season. But because this is our first episode, we wanted to kind of give you a quick scouting report of what to expect. First, expect a lot of excitement, expect plenty of hot takes. I know Caden's going to have multiple of those in this first episode, but most importantly, expect in-depth coverage of the best non-autonomy conference in the country, the Sunbelt Conference. Each week during the regular season, we're going to be releasing three episodes. First, we'll put out a preview of some of our favorite games each weekend along with our picks, and that'll be released each Friday. Monday morning, Caden and I, we're going to come back and discuss everything that happened over the weekend in the Sun Belt, and then finally look out for some special guests. I know we're in active negotiations for guest number one, maybe a little hint there. It could be a former teammate of Caden Smith, but We'll be including some of the best student athletes the Sun Belt has to offer, and they're all going to join us on Wednesday in the lead up to that weekend's games. So we've told you a little bit about what to expect, but now it's time to dive right in. And I can't tell you how excited I am to talk about the Sun Belt Conference and so many great things that are happening around the conference, Caden. We've seen different strategies across the nation in terms of how conferences are being built. You look at you know, the SEC kind of started things with the move of Oklahoma and Texas out of the Big 12 into the Southeastern Conference. And then, you know, about a year later, we saw this kind of seismic shift in what the Big 10, the strategy that they've implemented of really focusing on top media markets. They they bring USC and UCLA into the fold in the Big 10. Is it really the Big 10 anymore? I think there's like 16 teams. So we might have a name change in the future as well. But They've really focused on media markets. And then meanwhile, you contrast it with what the Sun Belt has done. And I'm going to go out on a limb right here and say that the Sun Belt strategy is going to be highly successful. And I think if you look at the backyard brawl last night, if you're a college football fan, you were probably watching that game. That's a big reason why. But the Sun Belt has decided to lean in on those regional rivalries. You had the base of teams that, Caden, you played. But then you've now added four new teams. You've added James Madison. You've added Old Dominion, Southern Miss in the West Conference, and in others. And it's going to be a really exciting year. I forgot to mention Marshall, and that's an important one as well. But you bring these teams in. Travel has been decreased. Fans are going to be able to 
head to different venues. And I think that's going to create a lot of excitement around the Sun Belt. Yeah, no, I think when you look at the conference realignment stuff that's happening, it's it's no secret that at the top level, at the power five level, it's it's about that money and it's about the media markets getting targeted and it's about getting those big name programs, the Texas, the Oklahoma's, the USC's. It's getting those teams on a big stage. And I think if you look at the group of five level, it's a little bit different. It's obviously not as much about the money, but we're trying to to keep up. And I think all of the best teams and the best conferences are going up and up and up. And I think the Sunbelt made some great moves. I think if you looked a couple of years ago, the AAC conference was obviously regarded as the as the top conference. If you look at Group of Five, you have the UCF run, the Memphis, the Cincinnati, the Houston. Those those are the teams that were constantly getting that bid. But now, when you add these teams into the Sun Belt, Marshall, who has a winning pedigree, JMU, who's always in the FCS championship, won it in 2016. And then on top of that, you add the regional part of it. I remember playing at App State. Our only bus trips were a long one to Georgia State and Southern, and one to Coastal. And now you have those closer trips that are going to make it a little bit more interesting in the conference. You can get fans traveling to these games and you get those old rivalry, ba- rivalry back with Marshall and App State in the Southern Conference. There's some bad blood there. It's just going to be exciting times. There's going to be a lot of recruiting territory that's going to be trying to get players to, to flip to some teams that maybe come over here, come to this state. If you want to play in North Carolina, you should play here. If you want to get out of Virginia, you should play over here. So it's going to be exciting times. And I'm, I'm super pumped about what the Sun Belt's about to be looking like in the next couple of years. That's for sure. It's definitely been a huge change from even just a few years ago when, you know, you had members in the Sun Belt like New Mexico State and Idaho, and it really forced teams in the Sun Belt to do a ton of travel. And now, you know, you you look at a team like App State and they're within about 300 miles of every single one of their opponents. And I've already heard some of the schools talk about how they could be saving nearly a million dollars this year in terms of travel. And the good thing is for fans that's that money's going to be reinvested into game day experience into improving these programs. So I think there's so much excitement around the league. And, you know, I mentioned the backyard brawl earlier last night, we saw a matchup in Pittsburgh last evening between the Pitt Panthers and West Virginia. And for those of you who might be newer to college football, that game hasn't happened in the last couple of years, but it came back with a bang last night, 70,622 in attendance. Caden, that game was lit. Oh, no, it was a great game. I couldn't get my eyes off of it. It really that obviously we had the week zero games last week, but that that really, truly made it feel like college football is back. And you talked about New Mexico State and we even had Idaho in the conference at one point when I was playing. And I could tell a story about the travel that we had over there when we do a, a story time segment when when Caden tells his old man stories about when he played football. But it was definitely an inter- interesting experience going out there. But no, the regional aspect of college football, I think, is truly one of the best we have. And I think with the new conference realignment, we're kind of getting away from that. I think you saw last night just how electric that crowd was. And on top of that, you just get a good game. You have block punts. You have two-minute drills, four-minute drills, amazing touchdown passes. It was it was just a great game. And I think that another it's another effect of, I think, COVID, the 2020 year, took a little bit of away. We had some empty stadiums. And last year, you saw college football starting to slowly creep back into some normalcy. And I think this year is almost a full send. It's a new year. Everyone's excited for it. Now the stadiums are truly selling out all across the country. So I think it's all timing up pretty nice if you look at the college football landscape. Yeah, I think it was a great point. You have week zero, but give me big boy football. Every, I mean, we all enjoyed watching games last weekend. It kind of whetted our appetite, but you can't tell me that UNC FAMU is the same as the backyard brawl, Pittsburgh versus West Virginia. So that was a great start for college football last night. I know I'm excited, and I think it was a perfect example of why the strategy that the Sun Belt is employing of regional rivalries and really leaning into that could pay major dividends. Well, moving forward, I think this episode is going to be a little bit different than your average 
you know, Friday episode, our goal going into each Friday is we're going to take three or four games from that weekend, really break those down in depth to kind of give you, the listener, some good information, maybe some behind the scenes information about your favorite team. And then we're going to come at the end and we're going to make picks. But today, because this is our first episode, Caden and I wanted to go on record with some of our preseason predictions regarding major awards in the conference, who we think could ultimately win the conference, win the different divisions this year in a new look you know, model. And then ultimately, we are going to break some games down today. There's a lot of exciting games in this first weekend in the Sun Belt. So we'll get into those. And then at the end, Caden and I are going to come back and we're going to give you our picks. We're going to go on record and we might even give you some good betting information if you're wanting to put some money down on some of your favorite teams this weekend. So let's jump right into kind of our preseason predictions and we're going to start with Offensive Player of the Year. And, Caden, since I'm a nice guy and this is our first episode, plus I also, there's so much talent, I need you to narrow the field down for me. I'm going to let you go first. Well, I appreciate that. It's, 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 it's an honor. It's truly an honor. But for my pick for the Offensive Player of the Year, I kind of have a two-parter here, um, kind of kind of cheating the game a little bit, kind of finessing the system a little bit. My first pick is obviously Rasheen Ali. I think for people who have been following the storylines, though, he has stepped away from the team a little bit. He's dealing with some some issues off the field, possibly some mental health things. So we obviously hope he gets that figured out and get him back on the field as soon as possible. I know Marshall wants him back on the field as close as possible. But I think if he does play enough games in this Sunbelt Conference, I think he's just going to make a splash. Could be obvi- obviously they gave a Newcomer of the Year award out as well. And if they're given, if all of the t- new teams to the conference are, are eligible for that, he's definitely going to be up for that too. But look at the season he had last year. 1,400 yards, 24 touchdowns, and was catching out the backfield. 46 catches for 300 yards. I know when we played him, we, we, we held him to 80, fortunately, because he put just about 100 yards up on everybody else. But he even returned a kickoff for a touchdown, 97 yards. So he's clearly proven he's an electric player. And on top of that, look at their bowl game they played last year against ULL. He put on a clinic. He ran for 160 yards and three touchdowns. So I think he's proven in a small sample size he's ready to play in this conference and he can play in this conference. I remember watching that bowl game. They were comparing him to Reggie Bush. They called him a young Reggie Bush. And I was thinking it was a little ridiculous, but then he put two more touchdowns on their head. So I think he's definitely going to be a splash player if he's playing. If he misses some extended time, though, my backup pick and my secondary pick is going to be quarterback from Coastal Carolina, Grayson McCall. Everyone knows his name. He's the player of the year last year. He's proven he can do it in this conference. And I think every year he gets a little bit and a little bit better and more efficient. He has that offense known like the back of his hand. He has one of the most efficient quarterback ratings in the country top five as far as it goes in least interceptions. I think he only threw two or three interceptions last year. And I think the biggest reason why he can make a big splash this year is because he lost so much of that talent from last year. I think if any other quarterback had less less talent and was less efficient, they might take a step back when they lose talent. But I think they might put more on his shoulders this year. I think he's going to have to put that Superman cape on with a lack of a supporting cast and really make it go. Obviously, you have Chase Bryce in the conference, who's another great quarterback. But I think he has a stable of running backs back. He has a young, hungry group of wide receivers who are going to go get the ball for him. But I think we might see a little bit more of the running game out of Grayson McCall this year. We might see him have to throw the ball a little bit more this year. So those are my two picks, my 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 maybe pick, if pending pick, and then we have my my pick just in case. So I have, I have a backup and a, and a tertiary and a secondary, I guess. Well, we will certainly see if one of those picks comes true. I'm going to let it slide this time that you didn't make a pick here. And, you know, I did want to mention, I don't know if those of you listening notice that, but every good DB has a stat to kind of, you know, stick in their opponent's side. And Caden throwing in that stat there about Ali only rushing for 80 yards against App State. And Caden, what, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? 
You know, listen, I'm 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 gonna do my best to be an unbiased journalist on this podcast. I obviously went to App State. I have a lot of love for them. But if I do have a stat that can support us, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it in there. So I'm not gonna not gonna come out here with some hot takes that are that are not they're just opinionated, that are just coming from my heart and not my head. I'm gonna have the stats to back it up. So I'm glad you caught that, but I hope you you at least heard the 80 yards thing. App State was stopping the run that day and they did that a lot last season. So Let's just be honest, App State stopped the run. They made it really difficult for opponents' offenses all year long, and I think you're going to see much the same this year. But for my offensive player there, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Over the last couple of years, we've seen it go to a wide receiver. I think, like you mentioned, Caden, there's been a lot of very talented wide receivers in this league, and multiple of them have graduated. I look at Jalen Tolbert last year at South Alabama. He finishes up his career, gets Offensive Player of the Year, and then is rewarded with a first-round draft pick to the Dallas Cowboys. He's a week one starter, so that tells you the talent at wide receiver last year, and there were so many others. But this year, Caden, I'm going to say that this is the year of the running back. There hasn't been a running back that's won Offensive Player since back in 2016, but I think that changes this year. You mentioned Rasheen Ali, and I'll go a little bit deeper. You look at Ali, you look at Cameron Peoples and Nate Noel at App State, you look at Tucker Gregg at Georgia State, Braden Bennett, Latrell Palmer, Chris Smith, Frank Gore Jr. at Southern Miss. You get the point. There's so many talented running backs, and there's plenty more that I didn't even mention right there. So I think this will be the year of the running back, and I think this is going to be the first time since 2016 that a running back has won Offensive Player of the Year. Caden, you probably keep thinking, Noah, say a name. Who do you think is going to win Offensive Player of the Year? And here's what I'm going to do. I can't pick. There's so many talented running backs in this league that my take for who's going to win Offensive Player of the Year is simply going to be a running back. Yes, you heard it here first. I can't make a decision because there's so many talented running backs, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be a running back. If you really pushed me, I would tell you, yes, Rashina Lee. It's probably his to take if he gets back on the field quickly. I think I'm a little bit concerned about stats getting split between Peoples and Noel. Maybe those are my second picks in this, but I'm sticking with a running back. And since this is our first episode and I'm the one talking, I get to make up the rules. All right. So if you're listening to this right now, your your ears aren't mistaking you. If you if you hit that that 15 or 30 second back button a little bit, you you can hear Noah saying and criticizing that I had two picks and they were at least both players with first and last names and numbers on the jersey. And then you go and pick an entire position group. It's an absolute cop out. Obviously, we're going to let it slide because you're on the show here and it's it's our first time on the podcast. But I do agree. I think it is going to be a big year for the running back position. I think the Sunbelt's going to go back to those days where you saw Marcus Cox, Jalen Moore, Trey Raggis, Elijah Mitchell, who's playing on Sundays now. Even Larry Rose, if you go way, way back until when New Mexico State was in the conference, there was a time when every single week, I remember, we were facing another great running back. And I think you talk about the wide receiver position, you lose Jalen Tolbert. App State had a stable of wide receivers last year that y'all all know familiar names, Corey Sutton, Thomas Hennigan, Jalen Virgil, Malik Williams. I mean, all those guys are gone. So I think that wide receiver belt, as far as who's going to be the top dog in the conference this year, is going to be up for grabs. So we might not be as familiar with who's going to be that guy in the conference who's going to give everybody matchup problems. But we definitely know what we're getting at running back. That's for sure. Well, I think next up, we'll take a look at defensive player of the year. And, you know, I'm a nice guy here, so I'm going to go ahead and go first. I, I put you on the spot and made you go first with offensive player of the year. So I'm going to jump in here and talk about defensive player of the year. And I can tell you, I do have a pick here. 
So I will be picking a specific player. And, you know, again, I'll start off with, again, a little bit of a history lesson. If you look back over the last couple of years, offensive player of the year has generally come from that linebacking core, kind of a player that plays sideline to sideline. You know, I think that probably hurts your feelings a little bit because you think DBs don't get enough love. And I'm sure we'll hear about that at some point throughout this podcast. But you're going to see a middle linebacker win this. Josiah Stewart was picked by the conference's coaches this year to, you know, win this award, the defensive player of the year. You might say, well, he's a defensive lineman. And I would say he's switching kind of positions a little bit this year into more of that bandit role. You're going to see him, you know, do some edge rushing. You're going to see him play at that middle linebacker position. He had a fantastic season last year, 10 and a half sacks as a true freshman. It'll be interesting to see what he does as a sophomore this year, but I can tell you that he is not my pick for defensive player of the year. And I'm not going to waste any more time. My pick for defensive player of the year this year in the Sun Belt, Carlton Marshall at Troy. He comes into this year and he's an absolute beast. 127 tackles last season, 10 TFLs, two sacks, an interception, a forced fumble. 442 career tackles, Caden, and he's just 104 away from breaking the all-time FBS record. So he's my pick for Defensive Player of the Year simply because the overall resume. If he picks up 104 tackles this year and becomes the FBS all-time leader, coaches are going to have to give him this award. I think he's going to rise above the rest of a talented linebacker core in this conference and walk away with Defensive Player of the Year. I definitely think that's a great pick. I mean, you look at the last couple of years in the conference, you look at what DeMarco Jackson did last year for App State, just a sideline to sideline linebacker. I think the key for him, if he wants to win that defensive player of the year award, he's definitely going to get his tackles. Everybody knows that. We we had a joke around the conference. I mean, we would you'd, everyone would play a good game on defense. You'd, you'd go back on the bus. You'd be like, oh, I'm feeling good. Maybe I'll get defensive player of the week. And then you you check your phone. And it's like, oh, never mind. Like Carlton Marshall had 24 tackles this week. Like I'm not going to get it. And he's, he's every bit of five foot, whatever he is. I'm not going to throw a number out there because I have played against him. I've stood next to him. He's not the tallest guy, but he makes up for in his play. So that's definitely a solid pick. And also he's going to be moving from the East, the beast of the East. People have been saying a, a loaded Eastern division of the conference over to the West. And I think he might look over there like it's lunchtime because the, the offenses obviously aren't as explosive over there and he might be able to play even more freely and rack up even more tackles. So I definitely think that's a great pick. It's not the pick I'm going with. We just talked about trying not to be a homer and then here I am, I'm about to pick an App State guy. Going with App State edge rusher Nick Hampton. He was tied for ninth in the country last year with 11 sacks, was up there in the top 10 as well for TFLs. He made all conference third team last year though and I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. I think making the conference, the all-conference list and getting the attention from the coaches and the players is the best way to have another leap and to get a higher position in that all-conference scene. And I think if you look at PFF, they had him first team because obviously they, they crunched the numbers a little bit harder and they, they recognized what he did last year. But he has that 6'3", 235 build, just the prototypical edge rusher that you want right now. And I think in the direction the game is going, you want something like that. I'm going to make a, not a bold or hot take, but I think he does have that Will Anderson-ish build, and I think he could be the Will Anderson of this conference. I think he can do similar things to him. He can bend around the edge, and I think he's also going to have the opportunity to get his hands on the ball. So if he gets a couple strip sacks, he drops into the flat, maybe gets an interception, picks up a fumble. I think that's going to really make his season complete because he's, he's going to do the sack numbers. He's going to get his TFLs and tackles, but he can get his hands on the ball as well. I think it's going to be a huge breakout year for him. So give me Nick Hampton. We called him Slink back in the day just because of his, his long frame and what what he had going on over there. But yeah, give me Slink Hampton, Nick Hampton. Man, we promised hot takes to begin this episode. And I think we just got our first Nick Hampton equaling Will Anderson for Alabama, the presumptive number one overall pick. Not equal then. (laughs) 
Now, you know how they have the sign that's like an equal them with a slash is greater than or equal to. I'm obviously still giving that to I'm still giving that to Will. I'm saying he's going to be the Sun Belt version of, of Will Anderson. Obviously, he's been working this offseason. He's been grinding. So maybe maybe we don't know. Who knows? He might he might put him in his place this year. But I, I think he's just a similar type player, similar type build and can do very similar things, especially in this conference. Well, we've made our picks for Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. We'll run down quickly through our champions that we expect out of each division and then an overall champion before we move on to previewing some of this weekend's matchups. So I'll go ahead and start first. You know, you look at the West Division and, you know, you have Louisiana who's kind of run, you know, the Sun Belt over the last couple of years. They've been so talented, but a new head coach there. Billy Napier, Bolts for Florida, very you know strong hire, I think, for the Florida Gators. I think that fan base is really going to like Billy Napier. Then you have South Alabama, you have Southern Miss, you have Troy. And here's where I'm going here. I don't think that there's a team that can make the leap into the upper echelon yet to catch Louisiana. I'm sticking with Louisiana in the West. They come in on the nation's longest winning streak. It's at 13 games right now. It's going to move to 14 this weekend. It has a chance to grow even further in the early part of the season. I think my biggest concerns with Louisiana, you obviously are without star quarterback Levi Lewis. And then Montrell Johnson, the talented freshman, second leading rusher a year ago, goes with Billy Napier to Florida. You're going to Chandler Fields now. You're giving him the keys to the offense. And, you know, the one bright spot, I think, along with a strong defense, is that five out of his top six receivers are back. So I think that gives him a strong security blanket. So I'm sticking with Louisiana in the West. Out East, for me, it's easy. It's App State. I think there's so much talent there. You, you know, we'll get into it in a few moments when we talk about App State UNC. They lost a lot of talent, particularly in the receiving core, but I think there was so much depth there at App State that they still have plenty of the pieces to come out and kind of that beast of the East, you know, out over Coastal Carolina, Georgia State. So give me App State in the East. And then overall, my Sun Belt champion, I'm sticking with App State. I am going to make a prediction here. I was talking with you the other day, Caden. I think if they can beat UNC here in week one, you're probably going to lose week two to Texas A&M, who I think has an outside shot to be the SEC champion this year. And then I look at the rest of the schedule, and I think there's a chance for App State to run the table during the regular season, head into the conference championship game at 11-1. and one. You win that, maybe you're 12-1, and one, and suddenly you're in the conversation for a New Year's Six Bowl for the Sun Belt. I think App State would chase Bryce back in that stable of running backs that we're going to talk about in a moment is going to be dynamic on offense. They've got those four returners on offensive line. For me, and I said it a few seconds ago, the question mark is the wide receiver core. Multiple guys in that core have now left. There's several of them in the NFL. I know your buddy Jalen Virgil just gets picked up on the 53-man for the Broncos. Shout out to Jalen there. But then you transition to, I think, something you love talking about. That's the defense, Trey Cobb, Nick Hampton. I think they're going to own that linebacking core. And then, you know, obviously my co-host was a former member of that secondary. And so because they've lost you, they clearly need to reload. But there was other people that left (laughs) as well. So I think there's some question marks with App State, but I think there's enough talent there for them to come out on top in the East as well as be the overall champion in the Sun Belt. Obviously, like a lot what you had to say there, but um, I agree with you. I'm going to start in the East, too. I'm picking App State. I think like you mentioned it, we lost a lot of talent, obviously, last year, but I think we kept it in the right places. We bring back Chase Bryce. He has most of his O-line back protecting him, has his running backs, all of them back. I think on the offensive side of the ball, you were concerned about the receivers, and you should be just because you haven't seen those guys play, but they have been working in the shadows, developing behind those guys, and really watching some of the best receivers in the conference do it every year and waiting their turn. So I think that group's going to come out 
young and hungry on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned all those names, but forgot to mention one name, and that's Stephen Jones, who was an All-American talent last year, is going to come back and be one of the best corners in the Sun Belt, if not the best, and maybe even take away one side of the field. I mean, he had games where he was having three interceptions at Arkansas State. I don't think they're going to be throwing the ball his way anytime soon, and if anybody watches that film, they're not going to be doing it, that's for sure. I think this side of the conference, though, is going to be determined in weeks nine and ten, though. You look at App State going to Marshall and going to Coastal in the opposite order, though, going to Coastal and then going to Marshall. They do play Robert Morris before that. I think that's going to give them some rest and let them recharge a little bit before they get into those big heated games. And I think last season, if you look at, I'm sorry, two seasons ago, if you look at 2020, we went to Marshall and lost and we went to Coastal and lost. I think there's still some guys on that team that have that bad taste in their mouth and they're going to go back into those games with that in the back of their mind and play as hard as they can. And if you look at Coastal, they lost 14 guys. I mean, they had 14 guys at Pro Day. And it's familiar names. It's Telly Gallagher, it's Silas Kelly, it's Isaiah Likely, it's Javon Hellig. It's, it's, the, it's the people who are really putting them there. Every, they lost pretty much everyone other than Grayson. So I think it's going to be a little bit harder for them to do it. I think Georgia State is going to be competing very well this year, but I think they just need one more year before they do it. And then if you look at Marshall, I just don't think they're going to come into the conference in their first year and, and win the, this, that side of the conference. I think Rasheen Ali is obviously a question mark right now. I don't know when he's going to be back. Quarterback Grant Wells transferred to West Virginia. So I'm taking App State on that side. But in the West, this might be another hot take. I'm not picking ULL, so I'm not going to spoil it right now. But I think in order to not pick ULL, you kind of have to defend why you're not picking ULL. So I'm going to do that right now. They lose Billy Napier and they lose Levi Lewis. I think you could literally just start and end the conversation right there. That that duo was so electric and really got to see them grow throughout the year. Levi Lewis has always been an athletic quarterback, a lot of good mobility, a lot of good arm. But every single year you saw him get better and better in that system to the point where in his last season he was throwing the ball with his eyes closed. I mean, he, he just like Carlton Marshall, wasn't blessed with height. So you see him looking behind that big old line, don't even know if he can see where his receivers are, and he's still putting on the money, extending plays with his legs. That's going to be huge for them. I think if you also look at it, I think they kind of had their – if anyone watched the the Netflix doc, they I think they had their their Michael Jordan last dance season last year. They made it to the mountaintop. They obviously I remember playing them. We used to blow them out forty to nothing. Had all our backups in playing them, and they they really got better and better every year. Lost in the championship to us in 2019, 2020, weren't able to play in the championship against Coastal, and then they finally got back to that game and won last year. So I think that was them putting everything into that, and I think that can be seen through their chance, transfer portal activity. They lost seven players to Power Five schools. They're all very important players. That includes freshman of the year, Montreal Johnson, who went to University of Florida with, with Billy Napier. So I think a lot of those guys kind of took that ticket from last year and, and took it all the way to the top when they go to play in the Power Five Conference. So I think that's kind of the vibe over there. I like the coach D hire in-house. He was a great player for ULL. Chandler Fields has only thrown 22 pass attempts in his career. I think it's going to be a huge drop-off between Levi Lewis and what he has to offer. So I'm not going with ULL. So everyone's on the edge of their seat wondering, Caden, who are you going to pick? Yeah, tell me, I'm going who with are South you going Alabama. to pick? I'm going with South Alabama. I like what they have going on over there. I like Coach Kane Walmack. He's, he's establishing a defensive identity pretty fast over there. They got a little bit better on the defense side of the ball, holding teams to a little bit around 20 points last year. Five and seven last year, which <laughs> doesn't sound great, but that's the first time they've gotten five or more wins since 2016. So they're heading in the right direction. Their defense has a lot of great players. Daryl Luther at cornerback is shut down. He was all conference. Keith Gallman's going to be one of the best safeties in the conference. I think up front, they have a lot of talent on the D-line and they can stop the run. They obviously lose Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert, which was a great one-two punch. But I think they're going to get that back this year with quarterback who they named the starter, Carter Bradley and Jalen Wayne. I think Carter Bradley was 7-5 and five at Toledo, has that experience playing. 
And I think that seven and five, and he was five and three in the conference. I think that's going to translate very well, especially in his side of the com- of the Sun Belt. Played a tight game with Notre Dame, lost to them by three. He has that experience, and he beat out Desmond Trotter, who's been in the system for four years. I think that says a lot. If you have a quarterback who's been developing in your system and learning it like the back of his hand, and someone comes in and beats you, I think that's a huge sign. And I think the number one reason why you should also pick them, if that's not enough for you, is you got to look at their schedule. So last year, they played their first three games of the season, did what they had to do, took care of business. And then they go to ULL and only lose by two points. It was a very close game. And that was when ULL was obviously going to be much worse this year. And I think they're going to be much better this year. They take care of business in the conference. They lose another close game in overtime to Texas State. And then at the end of the, the year, they lose to Coastal Carolina by six points. So I think they showed promise last year that they'll be able to do it. And then if you look at this year, they start, they get their non-conference schedule out the way. They have to play UCLA, UCLA team who's going to be the real deal. They're going to have to play La Tech, who's good, always a good team. And then they go back to ULL, and I think that's where it's going to be decided right there. They're going to go to ULL. I think they're going to have some good momentum going to that game. And I think they do what they have to do, and they take care of business. They got a good draw on the other side of the conference. They only have to play ODU, and I believe Georgia Southern. Those are the two teams they have to play on the East, which is obviously you're dodging Marshall, you're dodging App State. I think they have a good schedule that's going to have them prime for success, and they got the coach to do it, and I think they have the players to do it. So give me South Alabama. But I think App State ultimately takes the championship. I think it's going to be an App State, South Alabama championship with App State winning it all. Hey, we'll certainly see. I think I'm not ready to make that leap with South Alabama, but I I do agree with a lot of your points about, you know, how good they actually were last year. I mean, you look at it and you mentioned the two-point loss at Louisiana on October 2nd, and then the next week, a two-point loss in overtime at Texas State. They were a field goal away from being 6-0 to start the season and being bowl eligible, they lose those two games, but then they go on the road and they lose to Troy by seven at Troy. They lose to Coastal by six. And so that was potentially a nine-win South Alabama team last year. So I don't think the leap is as great. I'm just not sold yet on South Alabama, but I do think that's an interesting pick. And they could, if Louisiana falters at the top, I really think South Alabama probably is my pick as kind of that number two, that upper echelon team in that West conference. So I'm certainly interested to see, well, I think we've given you our picks. So now we can jump into some football and how good does that sound to be able to talk Sunbelt football again, Caden? Oh, it's great. And I can, let's just dive right into it. I think we all know what the juiciest and best matchup is in this week one. And we can, we can dive right into this UNC app state game if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I think that's a great place to start. I mean, we started this podcast talking about regional rivalries And we mentioned that last night, 70,000 plus were there for that backyard brawl. To me, this has some of those same vibes. App State, UNC, that game's going to be at noon on Saturday on ESPNU. So if you can't make it out to Boone, which, spoiler alert, there isn't a ticket to be found at this point. You're probably going to have to watch it on television. But they're expecting the largest crowd in Kid Brewer Stadium history. The Rock is going to be rocking. App State announced the other day that they have sold out all of their season tickets for this year. There was 35,000 back in 2017, a game against Wake Forest that you were on the sidelines for. You didn't play because of injury, but that environment was rocking. And I've seen some pictures of what to expect this weekend at App State. And I think UNC is running into a trap in Boone. Oh, it's definitely a trap game for them. And I think even if you look at the 2019 matchup we had, we had a great turnout for App State. There was times when the crowd was, was rocking for the, the black and gold, even in their house. So I think when they come to our house, it's going to be the scariest side for them. I think that crowd's going to be obviously a little bit more electric than some of the crowds you see in the ACC. It's going to be Drake May's first real test and challenge, and it's going to be in a rough environment. I'm super excited to see 
what that game day environment's like. And you go back to that Wake Forest game a couple of years ago, it was rocking. It was huge. Every big play, you remember the stadium being so loud. And then every play that didn't go our way, it obviously got really quiet. So it's going to be a game of momentum. App State's going to be feeding off that crowd. I can already close my eyes and picture that first third down where that bell gets to ringing and the crowd, the defensive players start getting the crowd up. It's going to be an electric game day. I think it's going to be more of a challenge than people think for UNC. Yeah, I think it's going to be an outstanding game. I saw one of your teammates, Thomas Hennigan, tweeting that he was going to be at the game on the sidelines. So I'm sure he's going to have a lot of fun. But, you know, I think when you start to look at the matchup, to me, it all kind of starts with Chase Bryce, the quarterback for App State. He's a guy that has been to multiple programs. He was at Clemson to start his career, kind of a backup to Trevor Lawrence at that point. And then he goes to Duke and then finally makes his way to App State. This is a player that has played in front of big time crowds. Quick story here, I was having lunch the other day, and I'm going to name drop Don Munson, the voice of the Clemson Tigers, former voice of the App State Mountaineers way back in the day. But he told me a story about Chase Bryce having to come in in the fourth quarter against Syracuse back during that national championship run for Clemson in 2018 after Trevor Lawrence went down. He guided his team a fourth quarter come from behind victory. That preserved the undefeated season, and the rest is history. So Chase Bryce is a player heading into this matchup that I think has the pedigree to topple the Tar Heels. 100%. I think Chase is a little bit of a, a college football journeyman, as I to call it. He's been to a couple of schools, been to a lot of places, seen what the top peak level of success looks like. And also, sadly, a Duke saw some, some really low lows. So I think he's seen it all. He's obviously seen a lot more than Drake May, that's for sure. But obviously, there's concerns at the wideout position. I think everybody's a little bit worried about the App State wideout position. But I think, again, we talked about before, they get a young, hungry group ready to get after it. And I think with this new offense under their new offensive coordinator is going to be a little fast paced, a little bit more tempo. And I think it's exciting to see. I think also if you look at UNC's game last week, there's just some things they did that they're just not going to be able to do against App State. They won't be able to get the same pressure on the quarterback like they did. Chase has his, most of his O-line back again. They won't be able to score on the goal line like they did. They, didn't, they kicked no field goals in that game. Every time they got into that red zone, that low red, they punched it in. And App State's always hung their hat on their good red zone defense. And the same way with running the ball. I think UNC got to run the ball at will. They had those freshman running backs and sophomore running backs really doing their thing. But I think App State's going to put a lot of emphasis on stopping that run. And I think it goes both ways, too. They obviously held FAMU to 56 yards. And we talked about that stable of running backs App State has. I just don't see a 50-yard game happening. So it's definitely going to be a very different matchup for UNC compared to last week. Yeah, I think the running game is going to be the difference in this contest. We mentioned, I think Chase Bryce is going to have a big game, but I think it all comes down to the running backs. And, you know, if we're talking about running backs, yes, I like the two freshmen that UNC has in George Petaway and O'Marion Hampton. I think they're going to be very solid college football players, but give me App State's running back room. You've got Cameron Peoples, Nate Noel, Daytrich Harrington, those guys, 5,300 career yards just behind the three. And then you add in Wake Forest transfer, Amani Marshall, and there's some others. It's stacked. I think for me, the question mark is going to be the defense. I think the the defense will be very good in this game. And to be honest, Drake May, he didn't have any problems last week against that FAMU defense. And so I think he's going to have a tougher test, even with some of the guys that have left this program. Um, but I think that's going to provide a big test for Drake May. And, you know, I'm going to go out and say, watch for a couple picks out of this App State defense. I think they're going to have a really good game. It's funny you say that. I think a lot of people are obviously worried about our wide receiver position and a secondary. If you look at the 2019 matchup against UNC when we played them, 
our secondary in the second half was depleted. We had guys cramping out left and right, guys getting hurt left and right. I was playing that game as a backup. It was the first time I really saw big minutes. But then there were people that were even less experienced than me playing in that game. We had freshmen playing at corner, at safety. I look around and there's just nothing but 18-year-olds in the secondary. So those dudes kind of got thrown in the fire. And a lot of those same names, Milan Tucker, Nick Ross, you'll see them starting in this game. So this stage and them playing against UNC is nothing new to them. They, they were kind of almost born in Chapel Hill. That's kind of how they got their come up. So it's definitely going to be exciting to see. And obviously, fam, you threw for 279 yards against them. I mean, their quarterback was thrown all around. And I think it's going to be different on that side of the ball. I think they're not going to be able to do the same things. They have their, obviously, they have their, people have their worries about App State's wide receiver core. But I, I think it's safe to say that Chase Bryce and his receiving core are going to be a little bit better than fam, you, that's for sure. Well, the App State-North Carolina game, definitely the big game of the weekend, and I know one that Caden and I will be closely watching tomorrow. I think if you want to know where Caden and I will be tomorrow, it's probably going to be on our couches, maybe pizza in front of us, and we're going to be watching a lot of college football. So I think I'm just excited for tomorrow and for sport to be back. But let's move ahead and take a look at a game that I think when we get to picks, you and I might disagree on ever so slightly, but that's Coastal Carolina versus Army. And we mentioned the trap game that UNC is walking into in Boone. And I think this could be a similar game that maybe Army's coming in. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, are picking the shots. It's going to be a sellout crowd down there in Conway. But Army's been really good in first games of the year. I thought it was interesting. They asked Jamie Chadwell in an interview this week, you know, is it better to play a triple option team early in the season or at the end? And his frank response was, it's never a good time to play a triple option team Army has been very good, and they know how to do what they do well. I think they're going to be a big challenge for Coastal on the road. Yeah, and this is really just one of those classic week one matchups because on one side of the ball, you know you know what you're getting out of Army. Everybody knows what they're getting out of Army. You're getting that triple option attack. You're getting that consistency that they always have. And on the other side of the ball, obviously Coastal's built themselves up to a team that cannot be messed with, has proven they can put points on the board and stop teams. But they'd lose a lot of their guys from last year. So I think there's a lot more question marks on the side of the ball as far as Coastal's personnel. But then if you look at who they are and their identity and what they've been doing, it's a little bit more predictable. So I think it's going to be a great matchup. I can second what Jamie Chabell said, that's for sure. I remember having to play Georgia Southern every single year, practicing that triple option. We would start practicing it in fall camp if we had some time. If we had a little bit of time and some periods in practice that were a little bit more free, we would start getting into that because it's definitely a challenge. And I think... You can't anticipate those cut blocks. You can't anticipate all that stuff until you play. So I definitely think for a week one matchup, it's definitely a coaching and defensive nightmare to have to go up against a triple option attack, especially one that's so polished like Army. Can we mention one of the biggest factors that I think in this game is the fact that Jamie Chadwell has shaved his mullet. And so I think that could play (laughs) a big role. I mean, some of you out there, you may have, you know, in the Bible, they talk, you know, about Samson and when he loses, you know, his hair, he loses his strength. Does Jamie Chadwell not having his mullet perhaps change things for Coastal Carolina. We're going to have to find out. I think they've got to rework that linebacker core, just two returners on that defense from a season ago. A lot of strength in the running back room. And I think the big thing in this game that I think you and I are both watching out for, we've been told that Braden Bennett, the star running back, questionable in this game. And in a game where I think rushing yards are going to be important, that could be a big loss for Coastal against a very talented Army squad. No, you mentioned that linebacking core, and that's going to be very important, especially going into this game. They obviously, they lose the Teddy Gallagher. They lose the Silas Kelly. Shout out to the mullet guys. We were talking about the mullets before. I honestly, I think you could argue that Coastal's peak might be with, with the mullet on Chabell and the mullet on the rest of the team, and they, they lose those guys. But I think that 
obviously the linebacking core, when you play a triple option team, you have to be gap sound. If you make the right play most of the time and then one play you make the wrong read, you in the wrong gap, that's that's when you see someone just busting up the middle of the field for a touchdown running the ball. So I think another thing to watch out for is just the nature of the triple option offense might be their best defense. I think if they can control the clock and keep the ball out of Grayson McCall's hands, who's going to be the best player in this game, but if Army can control the tempo and the pace of the game, run the ball, convert third and fourth downs like they do, I think that's going to be their biggest strength going into this one. And obviously, the strength of just their experience, too. If you look at their roster, they only have three sophomores playing in the rest of the, the rest of the defensive and offensive roster, are junior and senior. So they bring back the experience. They bring back Andre Carter, who's an absolute stud, rushing the ball, had 15 sacks last year, 18 TFLs, 6'7", just a Calais Campbell-type beast. I think it's going to be interesting. I think they're going to make this game interesting for Coastal. A lot of good games to start the slate, and we're quickly running out of time, so we're going to go through a little bit of a speed round over these next two matchups that we wanted to talk about. First, James Madison, Middle Tennessee State. It's going to be the first FBS game in James Madison history. Bridgeforce Stadium going to be rocking. I heard they've sold out nearly. There may be a couple of single-game tickets, so if you're up in Virginia and maybe you snatch a ticket, that's you know good on you. Uh, I do think, though, when you look at James Madison – uh, in their schedule to begin the year, there is a chance uh, because of their storied history. I think there's a chance, maybe outside chance going into week six, that maybe they're five and one and perhaps, you know, in a really good spot. But this Middle Tennessee State game presents a big challenge. I think for me, the biggest question mark for JMU, and it's also the big question mark, I think, for Kirk Signetti is who's going to be quarterback. He's got this two letter word between two quarterbacks on the depth chart. It's the it's the word or. And it's either Todd Santayo or Billy Atkins, the redshirt freshman. That hasn't been decided yet. And to me, that's what week one games are for. I mean, you'd love to have known that at the end of fall camp, but they're going to make that decision. But they're playing a Middle Tennessee State defense that was top seven in the nation last year in turnover margin, plus 11. They're ball hawks in the secondary, and that could present some challenges. 100%. It's funny. We're kind of seeing a similar situation. What's going on at Ole Miss where Lane Kiffin's kind of keeping his cards close to him, not trying to name a starting quarterback. In that situation, I think we're kind of trying to see, is he unsure about who's going to pick or is it strategic strategy? But I think it's going to be a game of the quarterbacks for sure. I think MTSU is going to have Chase Cunningham starting coming off of an injury. And then I think they should go with Centino. I don't know how to say his name. I messed that one up, but he's a Colorado State transfer. He has a little bit more experience, but JMU just comes into this game with that winning pedigree, 12-2 and two last year. They lost to North Dakota State last year. I like what they have going on over there. They obviously lost Cole Johnson, who's one of their all-time leading quarterbacks. They lose Antoine Wells, which was another one of their all-time great receivers. So they have some things to replace there. But I think them at home, them with that energy coming into this FBS system is going to be really exciting for them. And then MTSU, they're kind of a middle-of-the-pack team. They finished the season strong, winning their bowl game. They had a big-time defense last year who had a lot of tons of takeaways, but they do lose three players in their secondary. So I think it's going to be an even matchup. I think for everything MTSU has talent-wise, JMU has as far as pedigree and what they expect out of their program. So it's definitely going to be a good matchup. Well, I think it's important to mention here, too, that you know when teams make that leap from the FCS to the FBS, I mean, we saw App State do that years ago, Georgia Southern. So there is a roadmap of teams even in this conference that – have obviously been successful. I think James Madison trying to do it quicker than anyone's ever done it before. They pay some money to Middle Tennessee to come to Bridgeforth for their first game of the year so that they can get the necessary numbers of, you know, FBS games here to, you know, allow them to speed up that transition. But the one thing I think James Madison, they're really the one of the premier 
FCS programs over the last couple of years, they've already been recruiting at the FBS level. So I think you're going to see that transition made a little bit quicker than maybe you would expect. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch out for in this James Madison, Middle Tennessee State matchup. And then I think moving ahead, when you look at the final game that we're going to preview in this segment, that's Southern Miss versus Liberty. And I can tell you, we're going to get to picks in a few moments. And I am absolutely torn, Caden, on this matchup. But I think the big question mark for USM in this game is Ty Keyes. He's the freshman. He appeared in a couple of games a season ago and what was kind of a dumpster fire of an offense because of multiple injuries. He gets the keys to QB1 position and he's going to get his, you know, the start here. The one thing for Keyes I think is going to be huge is that he comes back with some, you know, returners on offensive line, some guys that they had kind of figured out that unit at the end of last year. But then the ace in the hole, I think, is Frank Gore Jr., the running back. He obviously has the pedigree. His father played in the NFL, but he's one of those dynamic running backs. And if you remember earlier in this episode, he was in that group of players that I said, I think has a chance at being conference offensive player of the year. Well, he's only in that group because he plays running back. I mean, let's let's be honest. I think if if if, if Southern Miss's fifth string running back just goes on a tear this year and and, and wins Player of the Year, your your take is still technically right. So let's not let's not make it bulletproof yet. But now I think if you look at Liberty, they obviously lose Malik Willis, a ton of talent, but they bring in Charlie Brewer, who might be a name that sounds familiar to y'all. He played at Baylor a couple of years ago before transferring to Utah, but he was a stud at Baylor. He had ten thousand career yards for this game. He's obviously more experienced than Key, so he's going to be the most experienced player in this offense and he gets a great receiver in Demario Douglas who had 52 grabs last year six touchdowns but it's just it's tough to read this one obviously the quarterback position is such a huge position in the game and there's a lot of question marks on both sides and then on one side you have a Liberty team who just had Malik putting the team on his back last year I remember watching some film when we had to play ULM he was just making him crazy plays I think Charlie Brewer can make plays in a different way and keep them efficient but Southern Miss did end the season three and nine but those two wins to end the season is what kept them from really having an absolute hopeless season coming into the Sunbelt Conference this year and just starting the season off. So I think they have a little bit of momentum going. They prove that they can win some close ball games, but if they lose, they lose bad. I think if you look at them last year, you talked about that offensive dumpster fire they had. They had some games where they were getting shut out, having one score, two score games. So hopefully they can get the offensive going this year. And this is definitely, again, another exciting matchup where you kind of week one don't know what to expect out of teams because they have so many different things going on. So it's definitely going to be a good one to watch. Yeah, I think there's some great storylines in this game, too. Obviously, Will Hall in his second year as head coach. I think my favorite part, if you ever have listened to an interview with Will Hall, is his Southern twang. He fits right in down in Hattiesburg, and I think that's created a lot of excitement. I saw on Twitter yesterday they've sold 11,000 season tickets. It's, It's the most that they've sold in nearly a decade. So I think there's a lot of excitement about this team in Hattiesburg. One other, or actually two other fun storylines in this game. New offensive coordinator, Sam Gregg for Southern Miss. He was actually the offensive line coach at Liberty last year. So maybe some inside state secrets being shared inside that locker room. I think that's going to be an interesting storyline. And then, you know, really the big one here, and I think this is a lot of fun, maybe more so for the fans, but there is a little bit of bitterness between, I think, the Sunbelt Conference and Conference USA, the conference that, you know, Liberty is moving to last year. Obviously, you know, several years ago, if you if you go back and look at the history lessons, Conference USA tried to, you know, raid the Sun Belt. They take La Tech and Middle Tennessee State. And then now the tables have been flipped years later. The Sun Belt has put themselves in such a strong position. They go into Conference USA. They take away Southern Miss. They take away, you know, Marshall. They take away Old Dominion. And now that 
is an interesting storyline in this game. So maybe that plays out. It'll be fun to kind of see uh, if that, you know, little bit of angst or, you know, hatred between the two conferences shows a role. I know Liberty's not in Conference USA yet, although I have seen their new field turf and they decided to put the Conference USA logo on that field turf a year early. So Southern Miss gets a chance at some redemption here and a chance to blow out a future uh, Conference USA pick. So I think those are some great storylines heading into the weekend. We've reached the best part, I think, of this program. We told you early on that each week we're going to make our picks for this weekend, and we've previewed the four matchups. I've got the current betting lines here for Vegas, so we'll go through those quick, and we're going to kind of get through these pretty quickly as we look to wrap this episode up. First game up, App State, North Carolina. We mentioned 12 p.m. on Saturday. Tomorrow uh, at noon, UNC a a one-and-a-half-point favorite over under at 56. That line, it's fluctuated a lot this week. Drake May looked really good as we talked about against FAMU. Josh Downs could be a difference maker, the wide receiver for the Tar Heels. Their defense did struggle, though, in week one. And so I think that gives Bryce and his running back room of Peoples and Noel, you know, the ability to be very challenging to UNC. So I'm taking App State. They're going to upset UNC at home in this first game of the weekend. I'm going to take the over. It's 56 points right now. I think we're going to see a lot of points thrown up on the scoreboard in Boone. Yeah, no surprise here. Caden Smith is taking App State in this one. I think Drake May, he did show some promise in the last game. He does have some mobility, which has given App State some problems in the past if you look at their defensive front. But I just think the more experienced quarterback in this game is going to be Chase Bryce. I think that Josh Downs is obviously going to be an issue for App State as well. But I think the App State defensive coordinator is going to put a little game plan together, try to get him out the game. And then the biggest thing for me is if you look at that 2019 roster, you have Sam Howell, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Daz Newsome, De'Ami Brown. That was a loaded team. And I think a lot of young guys played in that game and they proved that they can be on that stage. And now those guys are getting another shot to prove it again. I think App State's primed for this one. I think they're ready for this one. And I think the matchup against FAMU might be a little bit of a, a factor as far as what UNC is expecting going into this game. So they're a little bit younger of a team. I'll take the experience at quarterback App State. Give me them to cover. And I think I'm going to take the under on the points though. I think it's going to be a 24 to 20 win App State. That gives us our next matchup now, Coastal Carolina versus Army. Coastal comes in a two-point favorite at home in Conway against an Army team that's independent over under 53 and a half. Okay, now I'm going to let you go first here. Yeah, I think this is a classic trap game in week one, and I think just because of some of the question marks on the Coastal side of the ball versus the consistency of Army. If you look at Army the past two years, they've destroyed teams in the first two games, putting 40 points up. I'm not saying they're going to do that in this game, but I do think they're going to win. I think they're going to possess the ball, keep it out of Grayson McCall's hands when he's trying to throw it to new targets and hand it off to new guys. I think that's going to be big, so give me Army in this one. I'm going to go ahead and take Coastal in what I think will be a close game. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of rushing, obviously, from the Army side. For me, the big question is, does does Bennett play in this game? He is questionable, so we'll certainly see. I think in close games, give me the star power. Grayson McCall, he's a, you know, maybe dark horse Heisman candidate. I think if you were looking for a player that maybe you could put some money on in Vegas for that Heisman race that maybe had decent odds. I think Grayson McCall's perhaps that pick. So give me Grayson McCall. I think I'm going to take the under and I'm going to give Coastal. They're going to cover the spread in this game. Uh, next game up, James Madison, Middle Tennessee. Another game that we mentioned, I think it continues a trend here in week one. We're going to see some close games. Middle Tennessee comes to bridge for JMU, a six-point favorite in this game in their first FBS game, over under at 58. I'm taking JMU to win this game. I think they're going to cover the spread in Bridgeforth. It's going to be ruckus up there. And I think we're going to, the big prediction I'm going to have coming out of this game, we're going to have a clear winner 
at the quarterback position for JMU as they move forward in the season. Over under at 58, I think that's a bit lofty for this game. I think you're going to see defenses play well. So I'm going to take the under. I think we're going to see less than 58 combined points scored. Yeah, I agree with that under, and I agree with JMU. Give me them. I think the quarterback play in this one's going to be important. I think that's why you kind of take the under in this one, because you kind of don't know what to expect as far as this week, week one opening matchup. But I think in week one, I think if you look at JMU, winning tradition, pedigree, expectations are a little bit higher, and I think they have a lot more to prove right now than MTSU. So I'm going to take JMU. I'm going to take the experienced team in week one that's cultured up, that's primed to win, and is trying to make some noise as they make this transition. So give me JMU. Last game up, it's Southern Miss versus Liberty, and I think this is the one that I was most torn on. I felt pretty good about my first three picks, but I'm torn here, and Liberty comes in. They're a a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this. Over-under sits at 49-and-a-half. Caden, here's a really interesting stat, and this is the big reason why I'm torn. Liberty, a year ago, when they were favored on the road, according to Vegas, they were just one in three in those games. They're going down to Southern Miss, a team, as I mentioned, there's a lot of excitement around. I think that's going to provide, you know, perhaps the atmosphere for, you know, what would be a little bit of an upset if Southern Miss can, you know, pull this one off. I really want to take Southern Miss, but there's, I think, just too many question marks. I like their defense, but in the end, I think Liberty is going to survive. I think Charlie Brewer's going to play well in this game. I think they're going to cover the spread. And, you know, 49 and a half feels a little bit low for this game. So I'm going to take the over in this matchup. I think that, you know, we'll see more than 49 and a half points scored in this contest. Yeah. Give me Liberty or give me death. Is that the saying? Is that, the, is that how it goes? I like but that. Nah, I think, I think, I think, I think Liberty's going to take this one. Obviously Southern Miss ended the season on a high note with those two wins, but I just don't think that's going to be enough momentum to stop a team like Liberty. Obviously, like you mentioned, Charlie Brewer, I think is going to play a good game. And I think, if Liberty does win, they do win big, and it's because of Charlie Brewer, so I do like that over as well. But again, Southern Miss, new to the conference, they're obviously coming out wanting something to prove, but they're just they're just a little bit behind. I think they're a step behind Liberty as far as what they have going on in both of their respective locker rooms and in their building. So I'm going to take Liberty. I think it's not only just a safer pick, but I just think if you look at the direction their programs are heading, I think Malik Willis passes the torch off a little bit to Charlie Brewer and says, here, here my man be productive, go be great. And I think they're going to go do it. So give me Liberty in this one. Well, we're going to be putting our picks out on Twitter in this one. We want you to hold us accountable. We want to hear your takes on these games. And certainly we're looking forward to this journey that we're about to embark on. We mentioned the three episodes a week and it's not going to be fun without you, the listener. So please take opportunities to, to chime in, give us your thoughts each week. And, you know, we're looking forward to this journey, Caden. I'm really looking forward to doing it with you. No, me too. If you're listening to this right now, whether you're in your car, in your headphones, just straight out the phone, old school, whatever you're doing, thank you so much for listening. We obviously really appreciate it. This first episode in the books is huge and we're going to just keep building and building up and up and up. So if you're listening to this on Apple right now, the only way you can listen to it right now might be in the future, making some steps to give you some different platforms to listen to us. But if you're listening to us right now, give us a like, give us a comment, subscribe, leave us a review, do whatever you can to show love. And again, we appreciate you guys so much for listening to this first episode. 